Welcome to the Get Emergent podcast, where we discuss leadership, team, and organizational topics and best practices. We like to provide ideas, concepts, and pragmatic experiments to help you develop your potential in your work and leadership. I'm Bill Berthel. And I'm Ralph Simone. So Ralph, as another part of our series in talking about this coaching space for leaders, leaders as coach, coaches get to share content. They get to share some of their expertise. Sometimes it comes out as advice. This is really important for coaches to have some content to share. Yeah, and this is interesting for me. So my early career, I was a consultant, a subject matter expert. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I loved sharing my expertise. But, you know, the balancing act here, as we've been trained as coaches, is, you know, how do you strike the right balance between sharing what you know in drawing out of your client what he or she knows. So I think this is a stumbling block for professional coaches as well as leaders as coach. Yeah, no, I think so too. And one of the biggest barriers to effective coaching is projecting too much of our experience, too much of our know-how, too much of our subject matter expertise onto the person we're coaching, whether that be our employee or our client. I think this type of projection at best can be received as advice that might get acted upon. But I think we miss that opportunity to really connect, grow the client, draw out their ideas, their best. And even worse, as a leader, I think we might start to build a dependency on our advice. This links back then to consciousness. Very much. Kind of being aware, are we sharing too much too soon? Are we projecting our experiences or solution on before we fully understand? So let's talk about, for the benefit of our listeners, how we strike that balance of sharing content as a coach. So I think if we're able to hold on to sharing that knowledge or expertise as a coach as not first place, deep listening and intelligent questioning long before projecting our own brilliance, our own advice, <laughs> our own our own subject matter expertise that I think we all like to share, by the way. I think we do. Yeah, think, we do. Yeah, sure we like we to do. share that. It, it's validating. We want to make a contribution. But what I heard you say in that is understand the challenge or the problem or the opportunity at hand before you prematurely dispense information that may or may not be useful. And, and I think there's another thing that a leader and a coach needs to be mindful of. You have a position of maybe expertise or authority that people might be more inclined to pay attention to what you say. So the timing of what and when you say it is important. The timing is very important. And just to your point, the authority, the position, the role that you play, and perhaps your level of subject matter expertise, or sometimes your long-term service in the industry or that organization puts you in that that kind of authority position. Uh, But really taking the time to connect through, I think it's a dance. I think it's a both and of questions and listening. It's going back and forth between asking, I'm going to call them intelligent questions. And I think we can characterize them better than that here today. And then listening, deep listening to those questions you might be asking. So it sounds like a way to avoid projecting or offering your perspective too early is by starting by asking open-ended, empowering questions. 
questions that would get the employee, the client, the direct report to think and perhaps think differently or think more broadly about whatever they're wrestling with. Yeah, that's exactly it. So as most of us know, open questions are those questions that are difficult to answer yes or no to. They stay open in the way that they require a little bit of processing, a little bit more depth in the answer. Uh, We can answer probably any question yes or no to, but open questions are difficult to answer yes or no to. I think open questions are also questions that we are open to hearing, listening to almost any answer, right? So that requires us to reduce the expected answer or reduce our judgment perhaps a little. So if I'm interpreting that correctly, it's only an open question if we're open to the answer. I think so. I that, think so. That, that we receive. I think that's I think that's beautiful. You know, when you talk about the difference open and close, and people intellectually say, no kidding, right? You were, were going to spend time on this. But I remember an experience when I was conducting coaching clinics for a large Fortune 100 company, teaching leaders to be coaches. This is exactly yeah. the topic we're talking about. And we videotaped, right? Because the video doesn't mm. lie. Right. Oh, how hard can it be? And almost invariably to a person, the number of closed questions they asked to open was far more. Do you have a plan? Are you excited about it? And it was really took that watching the video to shift their consciousness that they were in a pattern because they want to net things out. They want to get to the bottom line quickly of asking almost exclusively closed questions. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And you're hitting right on it. It is about the pressure of time. Most of us have been educated and trained to be either consciously or subconsciously really good at reductive reasoning. And reductive reasoning gets us down to typically two choices. Yes, no, good, bad, right, wrong. So our language is formed that way. So we ask a lot of closed (laughs) questions. It'd be a fun experiment. I don't know that everybody wants to record themselves, but just pay attention. Pay attention to the questions you ask through the day. I think it's important if you're going to shift your consciousness and be more mindful of what your pattern behavior truly is. I mean, asking the question of how are you, people want to hear good or fine. They don't want to, they don't want you to describe the last three or four days, how you've been struggling. Right. And and so I think it's an interesting, right. That's not an open question because you're really not open for the answer at that point. You want people to say, yep, good, boom, move on. Absolutely. And and as a coach, we have to be ready for anything and everything. We do. We do. And Ralph, you qualified questioning another way just earlier that I want to go back to that I think is equally as important as being open is coaches ask empowering questions. And an empowering question puts the possibility, the potential, it puts the idea, the ownership kind of in the hands or in the lap of that person we're talking with. So it makes it more possible for that person or puts that person into action. Yeah. And I think a a well-framed empowering question shifts energy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It it connects to possibility. I mean, I, I have this right on my desk. I ask it often. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And so now we're putting all kinds of possibilities out there for people to consider. And it almost doesn't matter where they land, because if they're open to the possibility of something different, that's movement. Yeah. The other thing an empowering question does is takes us off the hook of providing our expertise. 
because we're really putting the focus on that other individual, not what we think should be done or what we know could be done from our past experience or, or our knowledge. It really takes us off that hook of becoming that advice monster. So pay attention to how hard you're working if you're coaching somebody. And if you're carrying the load of offering too many ideas there you go, or the pressure to get to some solution, then you're probably not sharing content appropriately. You've taken on too much. Yeah, too yeah. Much. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about something that seems to trip a lot of folks up in the listening area is this idea of acknowledging and validating. Mm -hmm. We're practiced in it. I think we're fairly accomplished with it most of the time, but people seem to struggle with understanding first what it is and yes. then secondly, how to do it. How would we help our listeners with acknowledging and validating? Yeah. So acknowledging is the intention of the acknowledgement is so that person feels heard and understood. And I think it can be as simple as mirroring what was said, not parroting. Nobody wants to hear that. It's not about, you know, recording back exactly what they said. It's an ability to acknowledge the topic or the content that they're talking about. And then validating is really about connecting with that person's senses or feelings or emotions around that. And we can validate that. Now, here's where I think a few things is why people get tripped up in this. One, the I know where I screw up all the time is when I'm more emotionally invested. Sure. I tend to acknowledge and validate less, ironically, where it would work better. But I think also where we agree or disagree with people. Mm -hmm. It's really challenging at times to acknowledge and validate someone that we disagree with. Now, it's not impossible. You know, acknowledgement and invalidation does not require agreement. So it's important for us to be objective, as objective yes. as possible, to be as neutral as possible. And part of doing that is to be conscious, right? To be aware of where you might be too emotionally invested. It reminds me, though, the benefit of acknowledging and validating. This was a, I'll try to quote it, but it might be a paraphrase from Stephen Covey. When we allow the feeling life, it dies naturally. Yeah. When we deny the feeling life, it struggles for birth. And so what we're trying to do is allow people to let the emotion go so that they can explore possibilities. It's exactly that. It's part of the processing that's there. It's both sides of that. If we agree or disagree while we're trying to acknowledge and validate, we're not actually acknowledging and validating. The acknowledgement is simply paraphrasing back and saying, you know, I hear you. And the validation is you've got every right to feel that way, or I can understand why that frustrated you, or, oh, it seems you're excited about that. I had a guy recently uh, talk about, he said, it's more than frustrating. I don't seem like I'm recognized in the organization. Yeah. And I said, based on how you described it, it's understandable. Yes. Why you would feel the way you do and why you would be considering other options. I wasn't making them right, wrong. I, I didn't have a horse in the race, but I was making it from the way he described it. Okay. To feel that way. 
that allowed us to move on. But I am curious. I, I think I do pretty well, but then periodically I'll get hooked because I, I fancy myself as a guy who knows a lot of stuff and can be helpful. Sure. And, and so I want to, at some point, after I've done all this brilliant listening and acknowledging and validating, and I want to offer my perspective because I think it would be helpful. What do I need to watch out for? I mean, how do I manage not giving too much too soon? I think there's a few ways too that, you know, I think we both work with in our coaching and I give a shout out to our business partner, Kathy Gaynor. I think she's absolutely professional on softening the advice. Softening the advice could look like, you know, you've probably already thought of this, but what do you think about X, Y, Z, the piece of advice? Softening it gives it that on-ramp to be received a little bit more readily. Nice. Uh, It also makes us more relatable. We're not just showing up as I'm the guy who just asked you a bunch of questions, listen to you, and I'm going to come around and smack you with my piece of advice. No, we're we're, we're building that nice on-ramp to that piece of advice or direction. I think it, whether we're coaching or leading, softening that is influential. And maybe it's that we're offering information for consideration, recognizing that- Love it. It can't be the full solution. One of the things I think I- a few things I did very well as a parent is when my kids asked me a question, I rarely gave them a definitive answer. There you go. Yeah. They'd say, well, you know, dad, how do you do this? I'd say, well, I can share a way to do it. But that's one of many ways. How else do you think you could? Because I think that's the empowering piece. Because I always saw my role as a parent as getting them to think about these things from their own perspective. It's great. How they would solve it. And I think the other thing we've we sometimes, in addition to what you shared that Kathy does, is just asking for permission. Yes. Would you mind if I shared some information to you that may be helpful in this situation? It's actually the place for a closed question. You want to hear yes or no to that, right? It's the closed exploratory question. Can I share a piece of advice with you? Hey, I've, I've had a similar experience in the past and it really worked for me. Can I share that with you? We want to hear no. Because then we need to listen more. There's something yeah. we've missed. Or we want to hear yes, because then we're on ramped to providing that advice and probably being more influential with that. And I think if you're in the moment, more conscious, more aware, you can tell that you're starting to share too much content as a coach or not enough. I mean, sometimes people want your perspective. And if you keep asking them questions, they're going to become impatient because you're not sharing some content with them. So I think pay attention. If you're in the moment, I think you can discern what's needed next. I think you can. And we're going to talk about making the connection in another podcast as a coach. But I think when you have the trust really high, the person you're coaching will even ask you. They'll even say, come on, I'm I'm ready for the piece of advice. What would you do? (laughs) That's as much permission as you need. As you were talking about making the connection, and I know we'll talk about that in more detail in a, a future podcast. One way not to make the connection, I think, is leading with too much advice. I call it leading with your chin, because then I think people start to want to make you wrong or incorrect, right? And you don't create, if anything, you create disconnection by leading with your expertise too quickly in a coaching conversation. So I love leading with your chin. Jonathan Haidt in The Righteous Mind calls that leading with your righteous mind. He says it's the best way to start a debate or an argument. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think that's what we're doing as coaches. 
No, I think we're trying to help people see their situation more clearly and yeah. help them see a path forward. Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about our offering Leader as Coach, please visit www.getemergent.com backslash leader as coach. Thank you.